G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. G'day and welcome to today's podcast from the 2020 program. You can catch the 2020 program every weekday on the Vision Radio Network in the West from 8, in Queensland from 10 and the Eastern Summer States from 1. On today's program, we chatted to Carl Fays. He was looking at the correlation between the Eastern narrative and the big blockbuster movie Les Miserables. Les Mis was one of the big movie releases on Boxing Day last year, had an all-star cast, was a movie that stayed true to the story told out on stage over the last decade or more, and well, probably for me more than anyone, most importantly, it was a musical. The story of Les Mis got many, many Oscar nominations. It was one of passion, of power, of human flaws, and so much more. Now, Carl Fays is a name known to many from his Christian media work in both radio and TV, and he wrote an article for the Bible Society newspaper Eternity recently, where he related the story of Les Mis to the Easter narrative. Now, I've always loved the story of Les Mis, but I asked Carl what made him think of the relationship between it and Easter. Matt, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and it's interesting, because I probably wasn't a huge fan of Les Miserables because I hadn't actually been to the stage play, although my wife was very interested and she wanted to see the movie. So I went to see the movie and uh, found it in a surprising way enormously moving. And I think most people do. And certainly there's a couple of scenes uh, where it's a a moving and striking um, story. Uh, It wasn't actually until I kind of did a little bit of background that, that some of the pieces of the story came together. For instance, you know, I was one of those uh, ignorant individuals where I'm sure most of your listeners are, are way smarter than, than, than I have been, Matt. But uh, I, I didn't realise that uh, Les Miserables had actually been written by a guy called Victor Hugo back in the 1800s. In fact, it was first released as a book in 1862. And uh, Hugo was, was uh, a writer, a poet uh, from France. Um, he was a Republican in the sense that he wanted... France to move away from the monarchy and be a more a democratic nation like Australia is. But in the process of trying to do that, after they'd um, sent uh, Marie Antoinette and, and um, King Louis the something or rather, I can't remember what number he was, Matt, uh, when they sent them to the guillotine, what they basically got rid of the royalty, but in just installed another group of people who uh, ruled over the people of France and didn't really allow freedom uh, a reasonable run in the country. And so Victor Hugo was really committed to that happening. And most people, getting back to your question, most people know that the key scene of the, sh- the stage show and the movie that kind of changes um, Jean Valjean, who's played by Hugh Jackman, is the piece where the bishop, the Bishop of Dine, kind of forgives him. Now, you know, most people know the story, but just in case there are those who are listening that don't, Matt, um, uh, Hugh Jackman, the, the, the person Val, John Valjean that Hugh Jackman plays, is a guy that's been in jail for 19 years. 
he was jailed for, this is part of the story that Victor Hugo wrote, he was jailed because he stole bread to, to feed his sister's seven children. He tried to escape and therefore he was a couple of times and therefore his sentence was extended. After 19 years, he finally is released, but he can't get a job, he can't get a work, everybody knows he's an ex-convict and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And in desperation, because he had no food, he goes to the Bishop of Dines kind of uh, rectory house, etc. Now, if I can just fill out the story a bit more, Matt, what, what you don't get, what, what I didn't get in the movie and what you don't get on the stage show, but until you read a bit of background, is that in the book, the Bishop of Dines takes up the first hundred pages of the book. So Victor Hugo actually spends all this time setting up this character, the bishop, and unlike a lot of other bishops in France at that time, who were really about climbing the social ladder and getting um, ingratiated with nobility, uh, this, this particular bishop was one who was really committed to the people. He apparently had an accidental meeting in the story with Napoleon. Napoleon likes him, makes him a bishop. He turns up to this place. When he turns up to his bishop's residence, it's a massive residence, and next door is this hospital that's overflowing with patients. So the bishop instantly moves out of his residence, allows the patients to live in his, his, huge, his huge rectory, bishop's uh, residence, and he lives somewhere else. So you see that, that here's Victor Hugo setting up this character who's, who's uh, kind of a concerned for the people, concerned for the best of people. So when he, when he does what he does for Jean Valjean, it's, it's actually fairly typical of who he was as a person. So Jean Valjean comes in, he's desperate for food, he feeds him and gives him food and lodging for the night. But in the middle of the night, um, Jean Valjean just can't help himself. He sees all this silverware, believes this is his opportunity, and so he steals it and, uh, and, and runs off. When he steals it, he's caught by the police, dragged back to the bishop's residence, and, uh, and the police say to the bishop, well, he says you gave him this. Obviously, he didn't, you didn't give it. Just say the word, and he's back in jail again. And so here's this place where this desperate man, thrown, you know, as it were, in the stage show and on the, in the movie, on the ground in front of the bishop, and the bishop only has to say the word, and he's back in jail probably for a lifetime. Yeah, but this is, and, this is the, my favourite part too. Yes. Because this is that thing, moment. And, uh, and the bishop says, no, uh, not only did I give him the silverware, but you forgot the most precious. And he picks up these two huge silver candlesticks and puts them in Jean Valjean's bag. And the police are dismissed. And there's the bishop, bishop and Jean Valjean. And in, in the movie, I don't, this is certainly not in the book, but in the movie, in the stage show, the bishop says these words, if I can quote these words, Matt, but remember this, my brother, seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood. Now, keep in mind the passion and the blood is the death and resurrection of Jesus. By the witness of the martyrs and the passion of the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. And the intriguing thing is that that, that moment of forgiveness and grace is what changes Jean Valjean's life. 
and he does become a different person and he does become a new man and there are three different places in the movie where that commitment is tested and yet he cannot go back on that commitment because he knows that he's been bought for God and I don't think he thinks he's been bought for God by the bishop and the silverware there's a sense of my soul has now been held by the grace of God mm. so it's a remark it's a remarkable scene and Matt, if I could just kind of go on a little bit longer, what, what's remarkable about it is that, that Victor Hugo actually chooses the bishop in this pivotal scene because he, he wasn't actually a Christian. He was probably a theist, which is somebody who believes in God of some description at best. And he was a Republican, and his family, uh, like his sons, when he wrote this book and was publishing the book, his sons were in their 20s. And they got a look at the book before he released it. It, it ran to 1,400 pages in English. It's a, a huge tome of a book. And they, they were actually not very happy with the book. And they apparently tried to talk him out of making a bishop the key figure. And they were saying, don't make a bishop the key figure. Why would you want to give the church, which we see as corrupt and hopeless, why would you want to give them any credibility? Give, give, make, a, make a lawyer, make a doctor, make somebody else the kind of p the key pivotal grace giving figure but somehow victor hugo realized that it was actually beyond human grace that was going to change people's lives there was some sense of the divine and that's what i think makes this such a powerful movie so when you relate that back into the eastern narrative where we look at the the story of christ and and the struggles that christ had in the lead up to the cross and even that um i guess you could almost bring that correlation into um, Jesus cry out on the cross, you know, take this cup from me. I, I can see some of your, your goings on here, but isn't it a bit of a, a stretch, though, to, to bring that modern contemporary movie into the the passion narrative? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one, one has to be careful. It's a bit like, it's a bit like, you know, if you could do a bit of biblical theology, it's a bit like how we read the parables, you know. Most parables that Jesus Jesus told really only had one or two key points, and that was the thing to take away from the parable. And to kind of um, allegorize the whole parable and every character and every part mostly leads people into heresy. And so that's where you'd have to be careful. In some ways, this Les Miserables is just a huge parable. It's a parable of life. And, and it's, it, the, the parable, kind of written by someone who does, probably isn't, as we said, a Christian, recognizes that, that, that there's something about the grace thing that makes a difference in people's lives. And, and Jesus is... Jesus' action on the cross cost him and cost the Father, but that was what gave life to all of us. This was expensive silverware, um, and, but the bishop was willing to pay the, the cost in the hope that it would change Jean Valjean. And I guess the other interesting thing, Matt, is that there was no... Yes, it is a story, and it's a novel, and it's made up, but the whole point is... In any of these interactions, when, when we extend grace to somebody, there's no guarantee they're going to use it well. There's no guarantee they're going to become good people. And, and, and Jesus' action on the cross, uh, depending on your theological position, doesn't, doesn't kind of say, well, therefore everyone's going to follow him. There are many people who have seen that act of grace, love, and forgiveness and spurned it and turned it aside and ignored it. But there's this action where we can accept that for us personally, and, and, and that it's a costly action, and it's one with no guaranteed outcome. And I guess that is the, the point of Easter, is that the, this, this massive act of sacrifice was done for us, willingly, 
despite the struggles, and yet sometimes we fail to, to pay attention. Absolutely, and, and I, I don't think, as you as that picture you said of Jesus in the garden, you know, the night before, desperately praying that this cup would be taken away from him, but but there's this 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 decision that what was what was most important in this particular situation is not what Jesus wanted for himself, but what he was called to do for all of humanity. And so, it, in some ways, while you don't want to push this too far, it was almost at that point in the garden where 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 kind of the gospel, as it were, the action of Jesus, the the, the Easter story, kind of hangs in the balance. If Jesus decided the human part of his nature, because he was fully human and fully God, decided to do a runner <laughs> and nick off to you know Jordan somewhere and hide because he didn't want to go to the cross, then the whole the whole thing falls apart. Uh, but it was his action, though fully God, also fully man, uh, to take that choice to follow his Father's will, and and that brought forgiveness and grace. And it's that it's a it's a tough picture, isn't it? Because we kind of think, well, why can't God just forgive? You know, what, what, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? What's what's the deal there? And that's that helps us remind us of the importance of what was going on. The 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 importance that there was a debt to be paid, and until that debt was paid, none of us could be free. And the importance of sin, which separates us from God, which says, with without without that sin being covered, we're not free. And it's grace that covers us. If I, if I can just go back to Les Miserables for a moment, uh, Matt, it's, it's very interesting the character that Russell Crowe plays, and that's a character called Javert. And Javert is a guy that is completely committed to the law. And there's a song, in, and, and it's a reflection of his character in the movie called, I think it's called The Stars, where he, he's, it's actually a prayer, and it's a prayer to God, and it's a prayer that he would bring... Jean Valjean to justice and to back to jail and back to justice because that's the only way he can be freed. That's the only way things can be made right. If he doesn't pay for what he's done wrong, then somehow thing the world is not right. And that's his view of the world. Every person needs to pay for what they've done. And and his his commitment was to make sure that Jean Valjean paid for his crime or we would put it in another term, is sin. And, and the funny thing is that what Javert works out is that uh, there's a spot where Jean Valjean, played by Hugh Jackman, as we've said, um, could kill Javert, and he lets him go free. And Javert, it just undoes his whole world, mm. because that shouldn't happen. And there's a piece, you know, in this, the, the, the story, the stage show, the, the book, where Javert takes his own life because now his world doesn't make sense anymore. And the bit that doesn't make sense for Javert is grace. Um, and and it's, it's, there's, there's such, again, another huge parallel. I mean, it's so, so easy for us. Even people who seek to be God-honoring in the way they live, we, we tend to get sort of locked into law. I've got to do this, you know, I've got to do A, B, and C, and if I don't do A, B, and C, somehow God's not happy with me. Now, it doesn't mean we just behave however we like, but we're not, we might not made right, right with God because we get it all right all the time. We're made right with God because of the act of Jesus on the cross, which gave us forgiveness, extended grace to us, and gives us the opportunity because of that to be in a relationship with God, and that frees us from the penalty of our sin and our wrongdoing, the things that distance us from God, it frees us from that. 
and it gives us the ability to live in a relationship with God. And that picture of the gospel story is actually kind of buried in Les Miserables in the distance between the bishop and Jean Valjean and Javert and the law. And it's grace that actually makes the difference. So grace could be uh, something that we could all reflect on a little bit more carefully about what grace is and, and how God gives us grace freely and willingly and in very little return, I guess you could say as well, for Easter. Yeah, because because grace makes us sets us free. And, and the thing is, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of feel like I want to earn my place in the in the world. You know, I'd, I'd like I like to feel like you know I deserve what I get, and and I I like to actually see people get justice for what they've done. In a funny sort of way, at Easter, God is unjust towards us. Now, most people kind of bristle at that phrase because they think, well, that's that's not fair because God's not unjust, but. God's unjust towards me, Matt, because he doesn't make me pay uh, the price that I ought to. I am actually the recipient, not of justice, but of grace. Which, And you say when I should reflect on grace, and all of us should reflect on grace, there's a couple of things. One is to be thankful for what we've been given. One is to live in that freedom of grace. One is to, another is to not to be locked into law. But the other is to realize that every moment of my life, I, I shouldn't be in that position of... Um, arrogant, self-centered, self-righteousness, looking down at other people, uh, because that's the space I'm in. I'm the recipient of grace. And if I truly understand that, that ought to make me a grace-giving person to the people around me. It's a powerful thought, and it's something I think we should all reflect on a little bit more carefully as we get closer to Easter. Always great to hear some thoughts from you. Carl Fays, he's a, well, he's a multi-talented fellow. He, uh, he preaches. Hosts TV specials, and he also does a bit of radio from time to time and some great concepts there as well. Carl, thanks so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure and wishing you and all of your listeners a fabulous Easter. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.